the current time is 9 a.m. on the nose, and you are tuned into KOPN Columbia, your listener-supported, volunteer-operated community radio station. Welcome to Community Pulse, uh, our live show on the coronavirus pandemic here in mid-Missouri. As a reminder, you can catch Community Pulse live Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. here on KOPN. And all of the episodes can be found online at KOPN.org, also on our Facebook page. Today on Community Pulse, we are, as ever, pleased to welcome back our resident physician, local family physician, Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, who will be joined by guest Sarah Williams. Sarah is a licensed social worker here in Columbia, and both of our guests will be speaking about... Um, the what to do about life during the pandemic, specifically harm reduction. Ladies, good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, both of you. Yeah, it's been a while since um, Sarah was voice joined us on the radio. She's been very busy doing her um, her beautiful healing work, and um, we. But Sarah was one of the. Um, idea generators for this show, so I'm really glad to have Sarah back. Um, before we get into our conversation about harm reduction, I want to run through the numbers. Um, please don't um, uh, space out if you can possibly stay together. It blurs my eyes. I sometimes have a hard time remembering what the numbers were yesterday, but we're still in the 8 million range for the worldwide cases, so uh, 8 million, almost 300,000 cases with... Um, uh, 400,000 deaths. So about a half a million people have died, uh, and there's about 4 million people in the world recovering. In the United States, we still have like one out of four of worldwide cases. Uh, so we've got a 2,209,000 uh, cases with right at 120,000 deaths. So the, death, the deaths are increasing at about 1,000 a day. Um, and we've got almost a million people, 900,000 people recovering. Um, and then in Missouri, so bringing it a little bit more local, um, we have uh, 17,000 uh, cases documented with 97% of counties reporting. So only three counties are left in Missouri that haven't reported a case, and all of them are surrounded by counties with significant case numbers. So I wonder about whether we're just not finding those cases or what. Anyway, um, and there's uh, an interesting phenomenon of rapid rise in the southwest part of the state, so down along the Oklahoma border, uh, Barry County, McDonald County, Newton, Carroll, and Lynn County, uh, in the Joplin area. So those um, numbers are increasing very quickly. Barry County has an increase of 57% um, over the last couple of days. Uh, we have 908 deaths in the state, and um, our cases are rising again. So if we look at the sort of seven-day average, um, that graph had a peak in the middle of April, another peak uh, in early May, and then a pretty significant dip uh, about the middle of May. Um, and then we're seeing sort of two smaller um, uh, peak. So we're now on the upswing again with about 230 new cases, a seven-day average. Um, and that, the seven-day average is about trying to figure out what to do with the fact that many cases are not reported on the weekend. So Mondays look really um, difficult and Sundays look really good when we know that that's not the pace at which we, um, uh, the cases occur. The virus doesn't care about weekends. Um, 
and in Boone County, we're up to 216, maybe um, uh, a little few more than that, um, with still just two deaths. Um, so as we are realizing that we're going to be living with the reality of this virus in our midst for some time, perhaps permanently, uh, it looks unlikely that we're going to you know, eliminate the virus uh, within the next year or two. Um, the question is, how do we live our lives? So in the late um, April, we, in late March, early April, we all kind of uh, shut down and retreated to our uh, abodes, those of us who had the privilege of doing so. Um, but we all realized that we have to live. So I'm wondering, Sarah, if you would just start and talk about the concept of harm reduction from other perspectives like... Um, uh, substance use, uh, sexuality. Um, I'm trying to remember what the other what the other big areas we use that in. Thank you, uh, Elizabeth, and thank you for having me. So, the concept of harm reduction um, harm reduction actually refers to interventions that are aimed at reducing negative effects of health behaviors or certain health behaviors without necessarily extinguishing the problematic behavior itself, um, either completely or permanently. Um, it's a principles of practical strategies um, and ideas that are aimed at reducing negative consequences. Um, originally, these negative consequences were associated with drug use, for example. Um, um, probably the first, um, one of the earliest public awareness campaigns of this would be with regard to um, HIV AIDS um, associated with drug um, drug use. Harm reduction is also a movement for social justice um, built on a belief in and respect for the rights of people. Um, initially, when we talk about drug use with regard to the drug use, um, uh, situation or lifestyle, um, this wasn't um, so that this was relevant to, for example, um, drug use also with regard to um, sex workers, um, also with regard to other health care settings. Um, so basically what we're trying to do is um, apply this to uh, work in communities where individuals live, um, regardless of what the circumstance is or the health risk is or the situation they're in, um, but basically reducing their harm and also reducing harm to any attendance to them. Right. Can you give some examples of, of some harm reduction, like the sort of the old messaging and now the harm reduction messaging? So, and it's air quotes old. Um, when we think of uh, harm reduction with regard, for example, to drug use, um, that would be safe places uh, to use, like needle exchange areas, um, safe places to use that had Narcan or other um, uh, life-saving 
um, antidotes uh, available, uh, trained professionals available. Um, for example, there may be some concert or public venue events where drug use is um, more common that may have safe use areas in them. Uh, such would be the same with regard to uh, sex workers. Um, pretending or saying it's bad and not not and, and ignoring it, saying it's not existing doesn't is not a harm reduction technique. That's something different. Um, right. So we sometimes think about this with regards to uh, young people becoming sexually active, and there's the right. abstinence-only messaging um, where the the advice is um, do not have sex. And the harm reduction advice is here's how you get pregnant, here's how to avoid pregnancy, here is how to avoid getting infections. Right. And so it's um, based on education, um, information provided, and then resources that allow an individual to make choices for themselves, um, you know, kind of the principle of our Constitution. Exactly. And at the same time, those those messages can be combined together. So the message could be, sure. you know, here we are, we would love for you to get into recovery from your um, uh, uh, substance use disorder. Uh, and even if you don't have a an addiction problem or you don't think it's a problem, we we still think it might be safer if you didn't do it. And if you needed some help, here it is. And if you aren't ready for that yet, here are some ways to use it safer. So one of the ones that's really sort of... Um, I'm having a hard time like actually saying it really neutrally is to tell folks who, especially who use injection uh, opiates, to not use alone. That if they've, if their disease is relapsing and they have, they are intending to use, that they should find someone to be with while they do that. And that is yes. a difficult thing to imagine who in your life would allow you to use in front of them. And I think it takes a lot for people who care about folks with substance use disorders to think, yeah, I would get out of my bed and be there with you while you did a thing that I really didn't want you to do. And the reason why people are willing to do that is because the alternative is often death. And we don't want that. People cannot complete recovery if they're dead. Exactly. So that's a description of how harm reduction works and how that principle comes. And I think that I, it has been an interesting thing to me to consider that that would be a legitimate way to begin to talk about uh, people getting together with each other and interacting with each other during this time of global pandemic. So can you talk about how the, that applies here? With regard to people getting together, yeah, or is um, doing doing life, you know, like we all sort of, many of us sheltered in our homes and didn't go anywhere, and, you know, sooner or later, you know, you need to, I don't know, go to the doctor or um, interact with people you care about or resume life. Well, I, that, that, that is a million-dollar question for sure. Um, so with regard to being educated, um, choosing to be informed, is a good place to start. Um, so something as simple as wearing masks and then the understanding that wearing a mask is primarily to protect those around us from us, 
Right. Okay. And um, with the with the idea in mind that um, this particular organism can be disease can be spread by asymptomatic people. Okay. Right. Um, so that I mean, so responsibility starts with self, um, and how you know that's that is the ultimate non-judgmental, non-coercive. Um, means by which to be a, a part of society responsible to ourselves and to our, our fellow humans. Um, so that's, that's thing number one, you know, starting with self. Um, thing number two would be cognizant of others in situations who may or may not be facing additional um, hardship or complication or circumstance that may increase their risk, such as homelessness, such as uh, chronic health disease, such as um, living in a residential care facility, um, seeking treatment for mental health um, or substance use or other disease um, that requires some element of residential care, um, hospitalization, confinement. Um, Starting there. Right. So I think that um, many people are hoping that um, the answers that are going to happen at this um, interaction, uh, you know, on this show are going to be, here are the things that you can be, you do, and you can be sure that no one is going to get sick, and here are the things you can't do, and nobody has that answer. Yes, absolutely. Um, I was like... Wow, I missed that part of the memo. Um, I don't know what the magic sauce. I don't know what the magic answer is. Right. Um, I wish I did. I know. So the um, thing is that what we're, what I'm hoping to do is for us to go over a little bit, sort of a framework of trying to evaluate an activity, um, and what uh, about whether it's worth it to you to deal with the risk. And the thing is. Only the person who's deciding to do it can know what the benefits really are, and only and but we can all talk about sort of relative risks. And I'm wondering what your framework for that is, Sarah, because I know you've been reading about this as well. So framework. So for to me, there are, there are two parts. Um, of course, there is the risk to our immediate selves, our own person, our health, etc. But what so many of us, especially when we get caught up in the isolation part of this um, and the what we feel like we're missing out on part of it, and, and we are missing out on, we're all making sacrifices, is, is what the trickle-down or the ripple effect is to those around us. For example, um, a person who may be lower risk um, goes out in public and is exposed and then carries um, the organism, they may become symptomatic or they may remain asymptomatic, but they may carry that organism home to a loved one um, who is more vulnerable um, with chronic health disease, with an age issue, with, with other, you know, complicating factors. Um, we ourselves, as the less vulnerable, may get mildly sick um, and then recover, but the risk we pose to not only the immediate health of others around us, but the ripple effect into the healthcare system because of community spread um, is something that so often is, it, it's really easy, it's really easy to forget about that part of it. So I guess that's 
kind of my take on it. Um, you know, making a risk-benefit analysis, if you will, of our decision to participate in a particular activity. Risk-benefit is to ourselves, but also to our community or our family. Right, right. Um, so I, as I was preparing for this, I found um, a couple of articles that were trying to um, address this, and none of them are based on this kind of scientific studies that we wish we all had. Um, most of them are based on taking surveys of people who are considered experts and asking them what they think about these things. And so all of them are ones that, you know, when they start to rank the relative risk of, be, of activities, um, have left me and other people sort of, huh, I wonder why they make that, why they think this is safer than that, when I would have think it's the other way around. So that's the thing with opinions is we all have them and they don't all um, seem the same. So, <clears throat> but uh, one of the ones that I really appreciated was an article in the New York Times uh, when 500 epidemiologists expect to fly, hug, and do 18 other everyday activities again. And... Um, Many of them felt like they were already ready to do things like bring in the mail without precautions or see a doctor for a non-urgent appointment, um, vacation overnight within driving distance and get a haircut at a salon or a barber shop. But most of them were going to wait a year or more to attend a wedding or a funeral, hug or shake hands when greeting a friend, go out with someone you don't know well, attend a church or other religious service, and stop routinely wearing a face covering or attend a sporting event, concert, or play. So it, it, it was interesting to see how people were making that, um, that risk assessment. And um, I, you know, I keep coming up with these sort of, um, you know, this is safer than that. So outdoors is safer than indoors. And we see this coming to light in the conversations about why are protests okay but political rallies aren't. Um, and one of them is that protests tend to be outdoors and political rallies tend to be indoors. It, as far as we can tell, if there was a big fallout from Memorial Day gatherings outside, we're not seeing it yet, and we would expect to have seen it by now. We could be missing the cases. People might be hiding in their bedrooms, not wanting to admit that they got sick, but I think we would have seen it. And most of those gatherings were outside. So do I, am I saying that all outside gatherings are safe? No, but it seems that outside is safer than inside. Smaller groups are safer than larger ones. Farther away is safer than closer together. Wearing a face covering appears to be safer than not wearing a face covering. Um, uh, so those are the kinds, uh, and touching people is less safe than not touching people. Do you, am I missing a, a criteria that you're thinking of, Sarah? No, I mean you're. I mean we're we're right on. I think we're right on track. Um, of I like to look at things from a thirty thousand foot view per se, mm -hmm. and um, I mean so again looking at the risk assessment, um, and I I I am generally more comfortable using risk versus safe. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh huh. But that's just my. Mm -hmm. My approach, because um, who's to say what is safe? Um, but we can each determine our own um, capacity for risk or willing to take a risk. Um, and then just keeping in mind uh, risk-benefit analysis for self and others, because there is that ripple effect, which we are more inclined to see or 
at least I'm more inclined to see when I look at things from a 30,000 foot view. It's not just me when I go to Walmart or the post office or the Department of Motor Vehicles. It's the 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 other people who are there um, of the general public, never mind the people who work there, and then their families. Yep, exactly. Et cetera. So the other thing I will say about this is many of my, the people I'm talking to on a daily basis are saying, I'm not going anywhere, I'm not going to do that and until this is calmed down a little bit. And I'm just going to say in Boone County, our numbers are still very low and are almost certainly to rise. And so if you were thinking a thing needed to be done in the next year, it might be a good idea to go get that done now so that uh, while the numbers are still low. If I, if you were in New York City, I might say, no, why don't you wait another couple of months? Um, but I think I am concerned that things will be harder to do safely once the cold weather comes. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's really simple. <laughs> Any um, any uh, follow up uh, comments before we um, sign off for t- uh, for today? Uh, just really interested in uh, remaining not judgmental, non coercive, um, and supportive of you know community health and social justice, um, which is not only the rights of ourselves but um, those of everyone around us, regardless of status or socioeconomic status, lifestyle, so on and so forth. I'm really thinking about, you know, what what ramifications our behavior has for those around us, especially maybe those more vulnerable. Well said, Sarah, and I am going to have Mike Trap back on soon. I think it might be tomorrow. It might be next week. I can't. Re- I wasn't able to find my schedule this morning um, to talk about um, impact on the homelessness and on on the folks who are unhoused. So we'll be having. And that is a very so very very important and close to my heart. So yeah. yes, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Peter, for being the uh, engineer this morning, and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you, ladies. We appreciate that so very kindly and sincerely. If you were just joining us, we were speaking with Dr. Elizabeth Alleman as well as Sarah Williams, who is a social worker doing some very, very important work in our community. She works with the harm reduction social movement, and that ensures that those struggling with addiction and also those who are working in the sex trade, to name just two examples, have safe environments in which to exist and possibly seek out uh, improvements in their lifestyle and recovery. If you'd like to learn more about how harm reduction works uh, as a social movement, we're posting some links to our Facebook page. We are also posting some links to the article that Dr. Alleman was referring to in the New York Times that is a very informative article. Uh, 500-some epidemiologists were surveyed about when we might be able to Uh, resume some normal behaviors. Our congregative landscape has been completely altered by this crisis, and it is a very informative article. And it was a very informative discussion as well about how some of the principles of harm reduction can be applied to reopening of society and as we all prepare to congregate once again. So thanks to Dr. Alleman and also to Sarah Williams, the licensed social worker who does such great work in our community. If you missed any part of today's edition of Community Pulse, you can catch it online at kopn.org. As a matter of fact, we have all of the episodes archived there. We also post it to our Facebook profile. As always, 
We welcome your questions, comments, and insights you have related to coronavirus here in the community. Leave a message for us at 573-874-1139 or email us at gm at kopn.org. Community Pulse comes your way live Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. and later on the day at kopn.org. Pleasure to spend some time with you, Columbia. We encourage you to stay safe. An abridged version of background briefing follows. We will speak with you tomorrow. Tomorrow.